This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. Let me welcome, she's the founder and executive director of Bilingual Brown Babies, Dr. Cami Anderson. Welcome to The Karen Hunter Show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Look at how she was bouncing in when Black was playing. I was like, okay, she can play with us. She can play with us. All right. Before before we get into the actual lesson of the day, and I and I would love for you to come in every Friday and give us just one lesson, a segment, so that I think it's important that we uh, expand our language abilities, not just because I think we need to have a place to go if all hell breaks loose here, and it might be a Spanish-speaking country like Cuba. I don't know. But also, um, as as we get older, our brains, just like our bodies, our muscles get more rigid and learning a new language fires synapses. And I think it wake, awakens different things that I need none of us to have Alzheimer's. I need none of us to have any kind of, you know, I need our brains to stay active. So I think learning a new language is also good in that area. Am I, am I correct in thinking that, Dr. Cami? Actually, yeah. Um, one of the things that when I was when I was actually studying to get my PhD at Howard, um, I had a simultaneous interpretation class, and the teacher was like, "If you stay in this class, it'll lessen your chances of dementia." We were like, "Okay, whatever. Okay, hmm. what, whatever you say." And he was like, "No, seriously." He's like, "The ways in which you have to train your brain to work in language, it forces you to have to work those things that start to." die down and get a little bit slower as the older we get and it really does like there's actually research out there that says that those that actually practice simultaneous interpretation are less likely to develop dementia and alzheimer's because of the ways that they have to use their brain i just wow. intuitively knew that okay yeah. so, <laughs> so so how i was teaching was like all right we need to know numbers days of the week you know i was just going down but you're an actual teacher how do yeah. you teach people to learn this new language? So I work with Black families primarily. That is my my exclusive clientele. I'm helping Black families become bilingual in English and Spanish. And one of the things that I do is I start with what we repeat all the time. So you in your house with your little Black kids, and you're repeating instructions all the time. Don't do this. Don't do that. Stop. Get your car. Eat your food. Do it. it. And, And those things that you have to repeat on a regular basis, you get used to saying them in English, you switch it to Spanish and you just start using them in Spanish. Your child gets used to it, you get used to it, and you're using it so often that you don't realize that as you're adding stuff on, you're expanding your language repertoire as you're going on, as you're going on throughout the day. So I start off with saying these are five things you need to make sure your kids know that when you say it, they know what to do. Brush your teeth, stop, that's enough of that. And what you're not gonna do, because I'm a black mama, so I'm gonna say what you're not gonna do. <laughs> And a couple of other things. And the more that you start saying those things, you add on to that list, it makes it that much easier. and You feel that much more comfortable because when we're in our parent mode, we tend to be more comfortable because we're not thinking about anything, but I got to get you right right now. So because I got to get you right, I'm not thinking about whether or not I'm pronouncing the word right, whether or not I'm saying it in the right grammatical tense. I'm not thinking about all of that. I'm just trying to get you right in this moment. Where are you from? Yeah. Where I'm from Wisconsin originally. What? Wow. Wait a yes. minute. That wow. that was like out of Wisconsin. <laughs> She's not from Wisconsin. What? Yes, okay. I'm from Wisconsin How? originally. I'm just a black girl that just loves languages. So, and I was like, I'm gonna make sure that there are more of us that are speaking languages, not just for the benefits that you were talking about, but just because let's define some stereotypes up in here. 
Folks assume wow. that because we're black, that we are not going to want to learn language. They tell us we have a deficit in English. So they so we they assume that we're not ready to learn languages. But when we come up in there, like people are amazed every time they hear my children. Because what? Where are y'all from? I'm from Wisconsin. They were born in Atlanta. What made you pick Spanish? What made you pick Spanish? Really? It was happenstance. I was in sixth grade and the teacher was like, you got to take a foreign language. You want French or Spanish? And I was like, uh, Spanish? <laughs> well, wait, really pause, like pause for a second, Dr. Cammy, because I think we all had to take a language. Yeah. And mm -hmm. most of us, except for Lamont, picked Spanish because we I thought it French. would be easier uh, because it's close. It's a Latin language. It's, you know, it's a, it's it's in line and words that are similar. But most of us did not continue, you know, the whole. So so what happens after high school Spanish, you know, and how come we can't remember anything that sister, uh, you know, our, you know, our teachers taught us shout out to Puente Duani, uh, my, my Spanish teacher who I drove absolutely crazy, who kicked me out of class, which is probably why I don't know Spanish today, kicked me out of class just about every class because I was cutting up anyway. Well, why can't I mean, we retain this is the, I was a Spanish teacher, so I already I know I taught Spanish mm -hmm. for I taught Spanish for years in middle school and high school. Um, and one of the things is the way that they, they got a design for us to learn. It's not for us to be bilingual. It really is just a bunch of little boxes that get checked off. And if you can check off those boxes and you're good. So what ends up happening is we sit there, we sit in the class, we get the A's, we get the B's or the C's or the D's, depending upon what we're doing in class. And when the class is over, we leave that nice little pretty little Spanish box sitting right on that desk and we don't take it with us. And because we don't, and we're not taught how to take it with us because we don't see ourselves in the language that we're learning. Like if you think about your Spanish class, if you, if how many, how many times did you see an actual black person speaking Spanish as an example of somebody who is a viable ex a role model for you when it comes to language? They don't present it so that we can see ourselves in the classroom. So of course we're going to be disinterested. Let me just get out this class is what we start to think because we don't see ourselves there. So I try to make sure that you're going to see everything black. <laughs> I'm going to give you the blackness. When I wrote my curriculum for my families, I was like, these are where all the black people live. And this is where they speak Spanish. And this is what you need to know about their history. Because I don't want you to not see that it's important to you. The minute we don't see ourselves in something, we tune out. And that's how we end up forgetting it. Yeah. I think that's an interesting point because of the fact that there are super black people in the Dominican Republic, Brazil, everywhere. Colombia, everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, so, okay, so you're a doctor and we have like a, a huge capacity to learn language at a very early age. What's the limit of that? Like for a child, can a child learn like 10 languages and when does that start to fade away? What I tell people is that it's not that it starts to fade away. We just become more hardened in our adultness. It's not, I don't, we don't lose the ability to learn language. We just become so staunch in our understanding of language and the language rules that are in English that it just makes it harder for us to change those rules in order to fit it the language. So it's not like you, you're never, to me, you're never too old. I've had clients that are 70. I've had clients that were two <laughs> and, and they all were fine when it comes to language. It really is about you being able to be willing to put in whatever work you need to work in in order to just deepen that language groove. Everybody has a groove in their brain for language. Some are deeper than others. And as kids, our brains are more pliable, so it gets deeper faster. But as adults, we, it takes a little bit more work. And a lot of times we get right to that point and then we get frustrated and we stop and that's it. We're talking with Dr. Cammie Anderson. 
bilingual brown babies bilingualbrownbabies.com and you can check her out on Twitter at bilingual etos okay bilingual etos Oh, I'll say it. Bilingualitos. Bilingualitos. Yes. Bilingualitos on the Twitters. Okay. So you, you studied it in sixth grade, decided I'm going to take Spanish. When do you make that into a PhD? When do you make that into a whole ass? I'm going to teach it now as a black woman. So I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make it as, as short as I possibly can. So after I got my master's degree, I started working in relief and development in Latin America. I was over press relations for a relief and development agency, and I was getting ready for a trip to Colombia. And they're like, "You got to know all of these things. You got these people that are being being kidnapped. You got all this because that's the time it was when I was working there. And like, these people are getting kidnapped. You got to know all this stuff. They gave me all the briefings, and." I get there and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I got this. I got my Spanish. I got my vocabulary. I got all this stuff. What I did not expect was for those doors to open and see a room full of black people. Mm. And they looked at me and I looked at them and it was like, we both were relieved. Like, oh gosh. Mm. Okay. So this is a totally different element. Like I'm coming in and talking to black people. Okay. I, that's real. That's a real easy switch. Regardless of the language, I can do this. And they actually saw me as finally somebody that knows our history. Mm. Or can at least relate to it so that we can get the okay. work done. All right. Before we get into the lesson, and, and I think we're going to push the lesson off until next week. So we're going <laughs> to, no, yes, Lamont, because I need to get the soil right. The soil has to be right. You can't plant, and I've been planting in bad soil on this front, and it's my fault. So I'm going to be a better, I'm going to be a better gardener here of languages. All right. So Dr. Anderson, Cami Anderson, tell us the history of Colombia that we don't know, because most of us think of Colombia, we think Medellin drug lords who are, you know, white facing and, you know, we think Scarface, we think we think everything but black people. We don't think black people when we right. think Colombia. Please tell us. Well, first of all, Colombia is probably about as black as Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where I'm from, like 35% black the country is. So there's a lot of black folks in Colombia. And a lot of the stuff that we, what we see as a forward-facing narco-trafficking, this, that, and the other, the part that they don't necessarily add to that is the places where the narco-traffickers were the most violent, the most virile, the most severe, the most deadly were on the waterways. And the black populations lived on the waterways because that's what we knew would be our sustenance after we left, after slavery was over, because slavery was everywhere, we all know that. And after slavery was over in Colombia, the black, the black populations took to the waterways in terms of being able to establish their communities because it was easy for trade, you know, basic stuff that we know from history in terms of how people move through. And that was prime location for the narco traffickers in order to be able to get into Panama. So they were... No, oh, no, talk. no, start talking no. Talk. stop it, stop yeah. it, Satan. Dr. Cammie Anderson, she's about to drop some knowledge about how Colombian, how, how black Colombia is. And then the Internet went out because they don't mm. want us to know about this. Let me welcome her back in, Dr. Cammie Anderson. Thank you for coming back. Thank you. No problem. You know, you know how the, you know how the internet's do sometimes. Like, listen, y'all saying too much. Let me, let me shut her down right quick. So she uh, shut her, shut her mouth about this knowledge. I don't want nobody to have. It's okay though. <laughs> now, are can we can we code switch in Spanish? Like I how do. you you know? Okay. 
I do. I do. So there's, because I mean, it's possible because I mean, code switching is going between different languages. It's going between different dialects, all of that stuff. We do that on the phone, right? And there are ways in which I have a Spanish that I use when I'm doing presentations and the Spanish that I use when my kids get up, get out of line is totally different. And it's so it's quite possible, but you got to be able to find your swag in a language first in order to be able to effectively code switch. Can't find I love it. Okay. All right. Before we before we get, I want you to finish this Colombian story um, about how Africans were enslaved there. And then after slavery, which I believe ended in Colombia before it ended here in the New World. Uh, they they gravitated towards the coast for trade, much like we did in Africa. Those were the, that's why Swahili is a trade language, um, and for trade and also I guess the fish and also the gross stuff being close to water is natural to us, even though. Mm-hmm. Just for livelihood. So yeah, so so we have we know we've heard about the Palinques. The Palinques are a lot. We're a group of Africans that um, created their own communities. In, in Colombia, but then we have this whole, we have a whole entire state in Colombia, the state of Quibdó, um, and, Cho- and the Chocó state in Quibdó is the capital of, is the capital of, of Chocó, and Chocó has, uh, has a huge population of Afro-Colombians in it, and that's in like the northeastern region of Colombia, so you, you're going to find a lot of Afro-Colombians in that area, that's where the Palinques are, the Palinques are in that area as well, so there's a way for you to be able to see, you just go to that place, but it also for a very long time was considered the most dangerous, and even when I was working in relief and development, that was the place I couldn't go, they wouldn't let me go there, because they said, oh no, it's too dangerous, no, no, there's too much risk, so I never really got to see the Black folk, unless they mm-hmm. came down to Bogota because they're like it's too dangerous because that's where all the narco traffickers were trying to take control of that area in order to do what they do so what did you learn uh, about black folk speaking spanish in colombia that inspired you to want to then teach it here in america i realized that there was a whole world of black people that we here in the united states were not connected to and i wanted to make sure that i was at bridge so um, shortly after me coming back to Colombia, coming back from Colombia, I was like, I need to make a switch, I think. I think I need to do something different. And I found this opportunity to career change into teaching, where they would cover you getting your certification and give you all the necessary education that you need in order to be able to, um, in order to, be able to teach in a classroom, provided you taught at a Title I or at-risk school um, in PG County, Maryland. And so I did that and I was at this middle school and all of my babies were black and I was watching how I would teach them this language and they were getting it. And I had like 75% of my kids tested into Spanish one by the time they got to high school. Uh, the, the rest were testing into Spanish two, just because I came in there and I was like, no, you gonna get this. And I want you to know that you can. And what, when, what school was that? What school was that? Oh, Sugar Middle School. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was at Shugart for a little bit, and then I taught at the Seed School, which is that, that boarding school out in Southeast D.C. I taught mm-hmm. there for a little bit, too. And then I went and got my Ph.D. at Howard. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, what were you going to do on your way to teach a spit? What, what was the original plan? My original plan? Like, if I want to go all the way back to when I was a teenager, I was going to be a bilingual OBGYN. Oh. That's what I was going to do. I was gonna be we a needed that. I was going to be a bilingual OBGYN with a clinic where I was servicing everybody in every language. I was with my people. I was with, I was with just black and brown people, just making sure that these women got the care that they needed, that they were getting what they needed in terms of um, 
mortality rates and all of that. I was that was going to be my thing. I think in my I look back in my teenage short sightedness, and I think that was the only path I thought I could take to be a doctor. Interesting. Because in the end, I still am, and I'm still in my community. So. <laughs> The founder, executive director of Bilingual Brown Babies, bilingualbrownbabies.com, or you can follow her at Bilingualitos on the Twitter. See, I, I caught that really, uh, and I'm surprising yeah, myself because I usually don't. Look how quick that was. Yeah, yeah, that is all. It's all you, Dr. Cami. It's all you. Um, you know, as, as you're talking, there's there's this um, riff uh, in our community, and and people don't want to say black and brown. They they want to say people who are Latinos or Latinx aren't black. And I, I feel like we're doing ourselves a disservice when we do that. So when I see you, you make my heart smile because this is what I know needs to happen. We need to bring it together. So, so talk a little bit about that. And I get the, I get the need for black people to, to be American black born here with ancestry enslaved here and what that means. I get that connection. But we're we're cutting ourselves off from a whole power source and we're not informing the folks that speak Spanish, you know, and, and or being able to challenge the Univisions and the Telemundo who will only put white Hispanic people or you know, Spanish speaking people on that that when that's not the majority. Majority of people who speak Spanish are black. Brazil right. has the largest and they speak Portuguese, but you know, mm-hmm. the largest amount of black people are in Central and South America from Africa and, and we just we're so small here. So talk a little bit about why that intersection is important. For me, I think it's important because it helps to give them a voice because it's not like the black folks that are in Latin America are not complaining about this. It's not like they're not like, hey, where are we? Why do we always have to be the maids? Why are we always the cooks? Why are we always this? Why are we always that? But they're being dismissed because of the ways in which they try not to talk about race in Latin America. It's more so it's nationalism first, then ethnicity. And because nationalism takes priority, there's a piece of their identity that gets taken away from them. Mm. So there are ways in which their connection and us having a connection to them, it helps them to be able to find the tools to get the language that they need in order to be able to have these arguments stronger. It gives them the opportunity to be able to see, okay, so this is how they did it. We can't quite do it that way because, you know, U.S., 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 Panama, two, two totally different countries. So our experiences are different, but we could tweak it this way in order to make sure that we get it. And then also like just on um, just bare bones, it connects us all back to this, this DNA that we have within our ancestry that has always been multilingual. It connects us to that. We have always been a multilingual people. How in the world did 54 countries of 120 some different ethnic groups manage to trade without knowing each other's languages? Wow. <laughs> I just want that to sit and settle. <laughs> so, so if you're black in America right now to only know English badly, you're doing a disservice to your ancestors. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I, okay. I have a question. It's a bit of a pivot. Uh, so I have a friend who's Colombian and she watched Narcos and she couldn't stand the lead actor because he did not have a Colombian accent. 
Um, is your palate de delicate enough to tell where people are from when they're speaking mm -hmm. Spanish? And what's your strongest or your natural accent that you learn to speak in? So my natural accent is a hybrid. I have this tendency to be, um, I have this combination of the Galician, um, Caribbean, <laughs> Caribbean slash. I, a lot of times when I start speaking Spanish, a lot of folks that are, that actually are native Spanish, people are like, where are you from? Because they can't quite pinpoint it. Because for me, I'm, I pick the thing that you like in terms of, we do the same thing in English. There are words that we that we articulate differently because we just like the way that it sounds. I'm not from New York. I'm not a native New Yorker, but there are some times when some words will come out and they're like, are you from New York? Like, no, mm. I just like the way they say it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right. All right. Getting the soil right. Getting our, our brains ready. What advice do you have Dr. Anderson for, for Lamont for next week to get ready. <laughs> I'm just picking on you. All right. To, I'll, I'll put it on me. I want to, I want to be, I want to, I know I want to spend at least six months in a country. I'm looking at, um, uh, where's the rainforest? Oh my goodness. Uh, cause they, they have this, uh, the spa there, Pura Vida, San Jose, oh, Costa, Rica. Costa Rica. Yes. And I hear that they have the best Spanish too and great food and and they seem to be least racist and I probably won't get uh, <laughs> hurt there. So I was thinking about Costa Rica staying there for six months. And then I was like, maybe I can hang out with Asada Shakur in Cuba when we have a new yes. president that will uh, you know allow us to travel there again. I don't know, but what, how do we get ready to, to really immerse ourselves? So the first thing that I usually tell folks, especially when it comes to learning a language, give yourself grace, give yourself grace. Um, even if you've been studying the language for four years, I want you to take the moment, just take a moment to think about how does a four-year-old talk? Right. And being able to be okay with the fact that even in your 20s, 30s, 40s, highly educated, whatever it might be, if you've only been learning Spanish for four years, you can't be mad at yourself for sounding like a four-year-old. Mm and have the grace to be able to say, yep, that's what I sound like right now. And I'm gonna use these words and I'm gonna keep using these words. And just like the four-year-old got vocabulary from the folks that were around them, I'm gonna get vocabulary too. I'm gonna get corrected when I'm wrong. I'm gonna fix it and it's gonna be all right. Part of the issue that we have is that we put our ego in language learning. Huh. We put our ego in it. We're, we expect, I, I, if I was like, I'll use, my, I'll use myself as an example. French and, from French and Portuguese, eh, not the best. <laughs> but so but the expectation that we usually have here I am I am about to be 45 next week I got a PhD I got this so that means that once I start speaking French I need to sound like I am 45 with a PhD in French mm. that ain't gonna happen I spent five years not even practicing it so I can't be mad at myself for that and I think a lot of times we miss that place of giving ourselves grace so that we might be able to make sure that we're open to receiving when we don't give ourselves grace we close off on the learning because we keep telling us, I should have this. I should know this. I should, uh, uh, why am I keep forgetting? Yeah. Because four-year-olds forget. Well, see, I, I'm, I personally, I, I never studied Spanish. I'm from, I'm from a school of thought where I feel like English, um, blacks in America, we speak American and, and English is no, it's not our first native tongue. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a flawed language to begin with. Um, but also believe that immersion is important because I went to Cuba 
And uh, we knew six words and we was good the entire time we was there. You know what I mean? Just, you know, when, where, what, how much and grocery store. And so a, a lot of times it's just being in the environment where you constantly picking up on cues and okay, I didn't, I don't know what that word is, but you done said it 10 times and I know it's something to do with that right there. And it's kind of, you know, for me, immersion is, is, is best. And there definitely are some benefits to immersion, but what we got to understand is that when we go to other countries to try to learn, we're trying to get that immersion, but we also got culture shock. Mm. So what are the, so what ends up happening is while we're there, we're good. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Come back stateside. Because it's no longer a survival technique. Right. It works for us because we're in survival mode. So that immersion is forcing us to survive. But once we no longer have that security, that security being being tapped into like that, when we come back to the States, we lose a lot of it. Mm. We lose an awful lot of it. So you got to be able to still acknowledge the fact that, okay, I'm getting this and I got this because I'm trying to survive. But how do I make sure that I tell my brain that I'm not doing this for survival? I'm doing this because I want to know it. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I also found that when I would go to other countries that spoke another language, they would see me and be like, yeah, I can practice right, English. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like, we're trying to practice that. We're trying to <laughs> practice Spanish. They're trying to practice English. We're trying to do all of this stuff. I went to Senegal thinking I was about to learn all this well off, and they were too busy trying to find out, trying to get me to tell them Tupac vocabulary. <laughs> right then. So the only thing I know how to say is Nanga Def and Jetta Jeff. That's it. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, what is that? Nanga Def is a greeting, and Jetta Jeff is thank you. Jetta Jeff. Jetta Jeff. Jetta I can do that. Uh, <laughs> well, people, people who come to this country um, and they don't speak English, they learn mostly through television and watching movies and stuff. Would that be like a good place for us to, you know, watch television or Netflix? They have a whole host of Spanish language movies and, and with subtitles, turn the subtitles off and just kind of just watch movies in Spanish. I think it is a good way to make sure that your brain is clear that this is something that you're trying to do. Like if you run it, if you want to be able to, you know, give your brain the heads up, we about to get this. You start doing things like that. It'll help when you're in the process of actually learning the language and starting to get the place where you feel more comfortable. You want to make sure that you have this good balance between being able to read it and write it and speak it and hear it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we're teaching and when we're learning, there's an imbalance on one of those things. We can read it and write it like it ain't nobody's business, but we can't speak it or hear it when somebody says it. Or we might spend a whole lot of time, but we can speak and hear all types of stuff. This is a lot of the American-born folks that are um, that speak Spanish at home, but you're not learning how to read and write it. So then you end up coming to my class, and even though you're Puerto Rican and you've been speaking Spanish your whole life because you can't read it or write it, you fail my class. <laughs> mm. So you got to make sure okay. you have that, that balance. I have an so idea we are not. What what's your idea, Joyelle? I think we should watch a movie that we know all the words to, mm -hmm. and then watch it in Spanish. So like, and watch that's what actually, that's actually what I tell folks to do. That's what I tell folks to do. I said, find. All right, give us a suggestion. So what's the, what's the movie? People, if you like to read, I tell people Harry Potter. Harry Potter. If you if you are a Harry Potter fan, Harry Potter has at least four different, four of their series, four books in their series that are actually um, illustrated Spanish versions of, this, of the book. So it's condensed in terms of language and it gives you some more stuff. It gives you an opportunity because you already know the story, right? So any, so whatever your favorite movie is, if they offer it in Spanish, watch it, whatever mm. that might be. 
whatever that might be. It could be the whiz. It could be the color purple. Ah, the whiz. Is it the whiz? Is it the whiz? <laughs> the whiz. The, the, the color. What is how, the, how do you say the color the purple? The El color whiz. purple. El color morado. <laughs> El color morado. La, la whiz. El color. El what color is it? Morado. El color morado. morado? Morado. Color. Okay, listen. Let me let's get these R's right quick. This is gonna be your lesson. This is gonna be your R's. Okay, you know the song by Birdman, right? Because I don't get upset. I need y'all to I need y'all to sing that song because that little moment right there is your R rolling. Okay. Morado. There we go. Morado. El cinco, el cinco heartbeats. Is that a <laughs> whatever it is is your favorite whatever if you can sit back like you know some people can they can do all the they can do the whole entire script from boys in the hood and i know there's a spanish version of boys in the hood because oh. i watched it in mexico so watch it in spanish and be able to like okay because you already know the storyline sitcoms the fresh prince of bel-air is offered in spanish um I used to I, when I was doing study abroad in Mexico, I would watch The Simpsons in mm. in Oaxaca, and that was all in Spanish. Now it looks a little bit different because you can't really read the lips of a cartoon, but but I'd encourage you to get you know live action stuff because that way you can at least kind of see what's happening and you can be able to kind of mix you can you can be able to see the equivalency a little bit better. But be careful because nowadays a lot of translators that are going into dub stuff are using Google Translate and that ain't reliable. Oh. So there's some way that they're going to say something. It's going to be like, once you start learning Spanish, you're like, oh, I don't know if that was right So, there. So in Boys in the Hood, when, when Ricky got shot, was they like, Ricardo? Was no, they, they like said that? Ricky. Oh, Ricky. And then when they was at the swap meet and, they, and he pulled out the gun, is there a problem here? Was it problemo aquí? Is that, is that how that went? <laughs> Actually, it's problema. Oh, problema. Aquí. Problema. Hay un problema. Hay un problema. Is there a problem? Oh. <laughs> I might need All to right, do that. This I can be probably fun. do that. Yeah. That's <laughs> yes. our homework. <laughs> yeah, that's our homework for next this week. Be a whole Dr. Cammy. This should be a channel for that. Okay. Listen, Dr. Cammy, first of all, um, I don't remember who suggested you. Do you remember who suggested you on Twitter? It was one of my colleagues, um, Andre Johnson. Andre Johnson, he's a professor at the University of Memphis, but we are um, connected through the National Communication Association, and we've done some writing projects together. So he saw that and was like, oh, I know what she does. She'll be the one. <laughs> he was, so let me, let me publicly thank him because he was spot on, which means that the people who listen to this show are amazing as usual. <laughs> uh, all right, so next week you'll be back. We're going to do our yeah. first official lesson, Dr. Cami Anderson, and you can follow her at bilingualbrownbabies.com or bilingual. Oh, no. Be Hold on. <laughs> bilingual. Ah, I did it and then I can't do it. I did. Bilingualitos on now, the Twitter. A little bit faster. A little bit faster. Right. Let me hear you. Bilingualitos. Nope. Bilingualitos. Bilingualitos on the Twitters. I guess I got to do something like this when I do it. All right. All right. Next week, we're going to be ready for you. I'm going to watch at least one thing on television in Spanish. I appreciate you. Just the four year old lesson alone, I think, could free a lot of people. 
We are mm -hmm. too hard on ourselves. I love you. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet Everything. you, too. I can't yes, wait to see y'all next week. And we're going to get this finish going. Don't forget your bird man, because I want to hear these R's rolling next week. Too. We got it. All right. It. I need to hear it. All right. <laughs>